0: Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob.
1: What I'm always trying to solve is there's coaches, athletes, parents out there that are seeing a need in their community. They believe on some level that they maybe can help with that need. And then they have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And they think that they have to go back to school or they think I'll just do it myself and like YouTube it. And either one of those paths like gets them the momentum that they need to get going. And so one of the things we've offered is the Ultimate Mindset Coaching Toolkit, which is basically how to sit down and run a session. And people get overwhelmed with that if they don't know what they're doing. But I would say that most coaches are already being mental performance coaches. They just don't call it that. Mm -hmm. It's like the after-practice chat with someone that's struggling with confidence or someone that just had a really bad game and needs some mental and emotional support. You put a little bit more framework around that, a little bit more parameters, and you step into holding that space a little bit more confidently, and you are acting as a mindset coach.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Live momentous.com leading the way in human performance is live momentous for listening today you get a discount at checkout enter the code drb20 that's drb the number 20 for 20% off your order live momentous optimize perform recover our guest today on the mental toughness podcast is the founder of positive performance which offers Mindset Coach Academy certification. Uh big fan of hers. She played professional. Well, she played basketball at Iowa State and then was drafted by a Connecticut son, played eight years professionally. Um, she's also a mother of four, which we will definitely talk about today. Our guest today is Lindsay Wilson. Lindsay, thank you uh for joining us.
1: Dr. Rob, it is such a pleasure. I have been a fan from sort of afar. I know we've connected a couple of times briefly, but I've been watching your work for many years and a huge uh, admirer of all the great work you're putting that. out to the world. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you so much. Well, you being in Seattle, it's obviously from afar, but uh, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So obviously we talk about hinge moments here and that's where I want to start with your story. So a hinge moment, you're age 16, uh, obviously playing basketball competitive and, and you encountered a mental coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where our stories are, are kind of similar, but talk about that and then how that transformed into you doing what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Um, I love that term, the hinge moments because I think all of us can look back on our life and there was like that fork in the road or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, man, I, I look back and I was, I had such big goals as an athlete. I had decided a few years earlier that I wanted to be a professional and women's league. It just started really. Um, and I knew I wanted to play in college and all of those things. And I was really, truly doing the physical work behind the scenes. And I had enough physical talent that, um, you know, I kind of had no excuses. Right. And I knew that the mental challenge, if I knew I was really mentally tough in the, in, in the sense of like, I had two older brothers, like I could play through injury. I could um, work really hard. Like I had that component, but. For some reason at, at the time I didn't understand, I couldn't really get out of my way mentally. So I think that was where, um, I will say, I like I knew I was the problem, you know, like I could sense it cause I could feel myself holding myself back. Like I would play and I'd be like, well, why did I do that? And why was I playing so scared or so nervous or so small? And I couldn't figure out why. So I said, I will say, that I knew I was the problem. I didn't yet know that I was the solution. And I would say that that's really like, if I had to like really pinpoint the hinge moment was like someone letting me understand that I could solve this. Like that's that hope. And that's what I teach my coaches. And and what I try to do is like, whether you're going to work with somebody or not, it's like, can you instill in them the idea that, we can change our brain. We can, we can train our brain. We can do these things. We are in control of this thing that feels so out of control. And that's why I think the change for me happened so quickly is like, that was the message that I needed at that point in my life. And I was doing all the hard work that could make that, you know, that message sort of take. And it really worked immediately. I mean, three months from that big, big struggle after I got a mindset coach, um, things had really shifted for me. I started getting recruited a lot more and and uh, ultimately played at Iowa State. But um, that was certainly the fork in the road for me. And, I, and another phrase I always like is, when a student is ready, the teacher appears. And that has been so true in my life. And that was one of those moments where my mom had a conversation with somebody at work who knew somebody else that was doing that. Me- and this was like 1996. I mean, nobody was talking about mental performance. And she ended up having a conversation with somebody that knew somebody that had grown up with somebody that did this kind of coaching Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that was really the turning point in my life from a sports perspective and of course the ripple effect of that has been long lasting
0: Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com, and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment.
2: Going back to the, that point in your life, and though, know, I mean, it seems like a long time ago, what was it that? like what was that strategy that allowed you to kind of free up was it an identity approach was it just um you know not thinking as much cuz we we I think you and I are both in agreement the mental game is more about subtraction than it is addition yep. right it's about yep. removing that stuff that just doesn't apply do you remember what was it that really made that difference for you
1: um well i think on a really basic level it sort of gave this nebulous feeling that I had in my in my brain that what like, I felt like I was putting the gas on and the brake, right? Like I was trying so hard to be successful. I wanted it so bad. Like, if you had told me to run out into traffic, I would have done it. You know what I mean like, and yet there was this part of me holding myself back. And I think just that sense of like, that is an actually very normal experience. Like, you're not crazy, you're not weak, you're not mentally messed up. This is how the brain actually works. So that alone, I think, sort of allowed me to take a deep breath. And with that understanding of like, this is how the brain works. So now we get to learn how to work towards it and in the, or sorry, with it in a way that instead of fighting against it, this is how their brain works. And so this is how we're going to do it moving forward. Meaning like, we're going to talk really nice to ourselves. We're going to have positive self-talk. We're going to use visualization and we're going to try to get our brain on board with these goals that you're working towards and you're saying that you want. And that break is really your subconscious holding you back. And that's congratulations, you have a human brain, like that sort of message. And that's probably not as concise as you want. But like that sort of message really helped me shift. And like the shift to be like, again, I'm maybe feel like the problem, but I'm actually the solution that really like, allowed me to move forward. I mean, I'd never heard of like, well, maybe not never, but I'd never applied positive self talk. You know, like, you can use fear, you can use like pushing yourself and being hard on yourself to a point, And then it becomes really counterproductive. And like, it's okay, actually, to be nice to yourself. It's okay to tell yourself you're doing a great job. Like, that's okay. <laughs> so like all of those wrapped up in that moment, I was 16 years old, you know, so that there's a lot of messages coming at me. Um, and uh, lots of changes in all parts of my life. And I'm trying to accomplish this thing and it's getting really complicated. And like you said, like kind of peeling it back to like, mm-hmm. you can use love. You can motivate yourself with kindness. Like you can push yourself really, really hard and not tell yourself you're like a lazy piece of shit, you know? So that really mm-hmm. shifted things for me, like really quickly.
2: Um How did that transfer when you went to college, you know, because the transfer from obviously high school to college and being a good athlete though, I mean, everybody's good. And there's a lot of, then there's a lot more dynamics that go into play, Mm -hmm. right? Like you and your teammates with coach, um, Mm -hmm. with the goals about where you want, about how successful the team is. What, what was really, um, the, I guess the most challenging part for you in college and then playing at that level. Not even at the pro level yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at switch, my freshman year, I almost got redshirted. I remember my assistant coach like pulling me aside and being like, like, you look like you're not paying attention. Like, I was, I was a little bit delayed. I mean, I think a lot of people do. Like, you, you have that sort of like shock of like going from being the best in almost every situation, (laughs) sports wise, to being, if not the worst, at least close to the bottom. And so for me, I also got, Pneumonia and like I was far from home. I got a stress fracture like there was just a and but that's not that uncommon, right? There's just a lot coming at you freshman year. And I think the mental component is so rarely trained early on that people get to that next level. And even if they I mean, assuming they can even get there, you get there and then you're like, Oh, I got to learn all this stuff and apply it now to this level. So I had kind of like, quote unquote, mastered it at the high school level, right? Like I like I was dialed in, like I knew my mental game, it was good. And then you get to that next level and there was definitely a delay for me. I think the, the difference for me because I had this training was there was a delay and then I got it. And I think for a lot of people, like they just don't get it. There's that, not a delay, they, they just never get it. And they kind of sink to the bottom because it is sink or swim. And then it's like, well, I'm just not mentally tough enough. And so I'm really grateful that I had that training to go back to, and I needed every bit of it Mm -hmm. to like pull myself out of like that depths of despair of like, am I the worst basketball player in the world? Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this or this or this? Or am I ever going to be successful at this level? And all those doubts creep in because they're real. You are potentially the worst player in the gym. And so you have to like have that mental training to go back to and, and trust because it is a, it is a mind F if you let it be. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I went back to my training, used every bit of it, expanded on it, but here's the thing. And where I am right now is I looked around and I saw no one talking about it. I saw no one training it. I saw, you know, this was 2000, 1999 and 2000, there was no like readily available resources like our coaches cared about us. I think they would have found us a sports psychologist if we had needed it, but nobody says they need it. Nobody raises their hand and say, look, I'm really struggling. I can't do this. No one does that. And so we were all left to our own devices and a lot of people sunk. A lot. People with far more talent than I, just worked just as hard, and they couldn't get it together at the collegiate level. And I would—I just remember looking around my basically my whole career since I was 16 and been like, why are we not all learning this? Like, this is such a big differentiator on who makes it and who doesn't. Like, it blows the mind. And no one was talking about it. So that's why I started talking about it. But um, that was my experience. I used every yeah. bit of it in college every year it was college is very challenging mm-hmm. from a mental standpoint.
2: So you're developing these skills. Then you play professionally eight years overseas yeah. and uh, talk to us about, and again, like specifically in terms of like how your mental development took place then. Cause that's a whole nother shift then of, mm-hmm. you know, trying to play professionally. You're growing up at the same time, living okay. Um talk to us about what what stands out to you about that experience.
1: Um. Again, I think I had, I had, I learned so much in college, um, you know, like my progression was one of like really struggling as a freshman to like kind of coming into my own end of freshman year, being the point guard, basically like sort of inheriting the team, my sophomore and junior year, and like really dialing in my process during that time of like uh, pre-competition routines, like dealing with failure, dealing with having five turnovers in the first half. And the, you know disappointment or embarrassing myself or missing game winning shots like I practiced all of that um and just continually pushing myself and then my senior year we had the worst year I think in program history for like 20 years like it was awful. we lost all the time. so that was like another level of like this is my year to shine and you know we also lost like you know 50 points a game with graduation and like we just it was a really hard year. I remember just being embarrassed a lot. And um, so I had to practice all of that then. Then I go and play professionally and I had a really good base of being successful and like the mental component that goes into that and also the mental component that goes into failing night after night. So I felt when I graduated college, like I had a really good mental game, so to speak, Uh, that had been like battle tested, right? And then, of course, again, you go to the professional level and there's so many other components, especially the WNBA, where it's really hard to make a team. I mean, you know, at that time there was 10 teams, 10 players per team, you know, every team maybe had one or two spots, maybe. And so being able to keep your confidence up and show up to tryouts and training camp and like do all that was, was one thing. Overseas was a little bit different in the sense of like, you were often the best player on the team, you know, your paycheck was dependent on how much you scored, uh, you're moving teams year to year. But I remember also feeling at, at a point where I kind of felt like I had dialed into like, being relatively successful, like I was making money, we were winning games, I basically had a contract every year. And I remember that sort of like deep seated feeling of like, but what's next? Like what's and of course for me like the the at the the um external was like trying to make the WNBA, which I never actually did. Um not on a team. I made training camps and I was practice player and all that sort of thing. So there yeah. was like that, but I remember having this sort of I don't want to say epiphany, but like this sense of like, but could I be having more fun? Could I be playing more free? Could I be letting go more? Like I I think I was about 25 or so. And I remember thinking like, okay, I know how to go out and like score a bunch of points. Like I know how to win games. I know how to like out the other team. Like, I I don't wanna say I mastered those because you never really master them, but I kind of like dialed those in a little bit. And I was like, well, what's next from a mental component? And again, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, I remember. And I also had started like doing this as a career sort of. And I was like, but what is next? How do I like get to that next level of like, on the court playing totally free, like being able to move on from mistakes, being dialed in every like moment to moment, being totally present. Like that felt like the next challenge for me. Because I'd experienced that, but how could I do it intentionally?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started working with a hypnotist. I, he was a friend of a friend of a coach that I knew that I'd had a conversation with. And I started working with him and I knew immediately that that was my graduate level, so to speak. And he started really teaching me about this, as you're saying, like the ability to let go, like to play really free and of course to live that way too. Like you talking about Zen and meditation and really tapping into your subconscious. And that was so exciting for me that I would go overseas and I get to practice this stuff. And then I'd come back and I'd work with a few teams and I'd sort of dial into my process. But that was really that next level for me. It was great Mm -hmm. to be getting paid. It was great to be winning most of the time. It was great to be whatever. But for me, that next level of getting to play for that long was really about getting to that next level mentally.
2: Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that because I think like too often the self-awareness piece uh, and what I've noticed about like mental coaches is these are the ones that, Probably two paths one like they had a really really bad experience with the coach mm-hmm. athlete and no one was ever there to help them or yep. they reached a certain level and their self-awareness was so high that um not only were they still striving to get better but it was like being able to take that objective viewpoint and be able to look at hey what are all the other options here in terms of how can I become more consistent how can I and you know have more joy like you said more freedom and that's what I noticed then about lot of mental coaches. So I appreciate you sharing that in terms of like what your journey um, transpired and what it looked like there. It's fantastic. Well, yeah.
1: So, Cause remember I was playing overseas, you know, eight hours time wise away from pretty much everybody that I loved and making some money and living abroad and all that was like part of the experience. But I was like, yeah, but what am I really here for? You know, like if I'm going to be away from my family, you know, playing basketball with no one here. To There was nobody in the stands to watch me. There was not, we didn't have FaceTime. And like we were, I was getting like phone cards from the like corner kiosk to call my family. I'm like totally isolated. And I was like, if there's not some bigger reason for doing this, like, yes, I love playing. Don't get me wrong, but that's like two hours out of my day. Um, Like what's, what am I here for? You know, and so that was part of like my, um, like bigger picture and self improvement, because it wasn't just about like making more money or scoring more. It had to be more than that for me to be right. that far away from my family for that long.
2: So you then go into the world of mental performance, mental coaching, helping people. Obviously, that was at the root of everything. Yep. Of of what you, because I have always think like again, coaching's at our soul, being able to help people get to where they mm-hmm. want to go. Mm-hmm. um, gives us meaning there are our lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Quick side question here, if that's okay. Yeah. When you tell people what you do, right. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't know who you are and you're introducing yourself and what you do. What are a couple of those, like you share your elevator speech. Like what are a couple of the comments that you automatically like hear? I'm just kind of curious on that. Cause I could share a couple um, of mine, but I'm just, I would just love, you know, hearing yeah. what other coaches I, are. I think
1: mostly there's just other questions. They're just like, oh my God, what is that? Yeah, You know, like, um, that's, or that's so cool. Or, I mean, and there was definitely a period in my life where either I was a professional basketball player and, or I was a mental performance coach. And if I went into any room with people, I didn't know a lot of times I would just say that I'm in fitness or something because I couldn't take. Like the onslaught of attention, right? Because it was just like, and that probably wasn't like the best like business building <laughs> strategy. Now that I think about it, but at the time, I was just like, I can't handle. Then I would never get any insight into anybody else.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it's great because when I when I do it, I mean I. I just, I mean, I get the jokes right away, right? Like, oh, you know, I don't don't have enough money to help me, or um, oh you yeah, know, yeah. We got to start charging right now. And uh, I've yeah. always found like those those comedic routines, but that takes takes a while to, to get, you know, that that British wit, if you can, to then be able to have that comeback. and then it's kind of all right. Yep. The tension is released from it. Now we can, if you want to know more, I'm happy to share. You know, yeah. But, uh, that's yeah. what I always found is those jokes um always seem to like lighten the tension when it comes to that because people like i mean even when you explain it mental coach or you know help athletes uh coaches and teams perform their best when it matters the most you know the mental strategies whatever the elevator speech is mm-hmm. so you mean that, like you're a motivational speaker or yep. you mean like uh like Exercise physiologist or, or PT yep. stuff like that. No, no, no. no. Yep. So it's like I just totally bypass that stuff and then just make jokes about it and then, yeah, kind of like ease the tension. But I sorry for the tangent. I really just wanted to ask because, you know, <laughs> talking about well, I mean, experts, it, it is
1: relevant though, because it is like one of those things where it's like, how do you say it in a concise way? This is like one of the challenges with what we do is like saying it in a concise way so people get it. And I think yeah. it's gotten easier over the years. Um, but I still think there's like one million questions that come up right after that that people still aren't exactly sure what you do, which is a challenge that's a challenge yeah. you know that because we're supposed to be able to say it really concisely
2: right so those that want to become and you coach the coaches in terms of you know mental game certification mm-hmm. with like what can you suggest those who want to become a mental coach they start going through your process um, but they become overwhelmed. It's all or nothing. It's not fast enough. What, what do you suggest with these individuals that are going through that process? You know, your six step framework we can talk about, but like, what do do you suggest when it comes to that?
1: Are you talking about people that want to start their own mindset coaching business or people that just want to implement mental
2: training? No, people that want to start their own mental coaching business.
1: Well, what I see is a lot of people getting really caught up in, um, not knowing where to start. And they get in their own head about whether they can do it or whether they need to go back to school. And I think, um, you know, what I don't know if you know Jeff Jansen. Um, I remember um, Jeff, when I was about 21, he came in and worked with our team at Iowa State. And I remember him saying something along the lines of figure out what you want to do and then figure out how to get paid for it. And I think he had gotten that you know, info from one of his mentors. And he said it to me. And and I remember that clicking for me because I was like, at that time, I wouldn't have told you that I want to be a mental training coach. But I think the core piece of it is like, if you have a burning desire to help people and you feel like you have something to offer or you're seeing this problem in the world and you feel like you could help, getting caught up in the how is like one of the stupidest things you can do. Because nobody knows the how when they first start something new. It's like saying, well, I want to learn how to guitar, play guitar. And it's like buying a guitar and sitting in your living room and trying to figure it out. Like that would be idiotic if you actually want to learn how to play the guitar. You know, like if you don't, you just want to F around, like, cool. You know, that's fine. But if you're actually trying to get somewhere, you don't want to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I also see the all or nothing thinking. So I see a lot of people get paralyzed by like, I need to go get my, and you're actually like, you know, you've actually studied this, but I found for a lot of people, they get overwhelmed with like, do I need to go back to school? Do I need to go get my master's or my doctorate? And like, they don't have the time or the money to do that. And they don't even know if they like doing this. So to me, it's like, we're never taught to do things easily or simply. And in this case, I would say, do it as easily and as simply as you can. We have a guide that that is called the Ultimate Mindset Coaching Toolkit, and it's and I'll, I can give you the link. Well, actually, well, I've, da-
2: I've downloaded it.
1: Oh, you have? Okay, it's so fantastic. It's, like, it's basically. Are you doing? Have you done that one, or have you done the How to Become a Mental Performance Coach? Because there's two different ones. Maybe you've done the one both. that's
2: like it's like fifty fifty five pages.
1: That's probably How to Become a Mental Performance Coach. That's good too. I mean, I think what I'm always trying to solve is. There's coaches, athletes, parents out there that are seeing a need in their community. They believe on some level that they maybe can help with that need. And then they have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And they think that they have to go back to school or they think I'll just do it myself and like YouTube it. And either one of those paths like gets them the momentum that they need to get going. And so one of the things we've offered is the Ultimate Mindset Coaching Toolkit, which is basically how to sit down and run a session. And people get overwhelmed with that if they don't know what they're doing. But I would say that most coaches are already being mental performance coaches. They just don't call it that. Mm -hmm. It's like the after practice chat with someone that's struggling with confidence or someone that just had a really bad game and needs some mental and emotional support. You put a little bit more framework around that, a little bit more parameters, and you step into holding that space a little bit more confidently, and you are acting as a mindset coach. Do you need more training? Potentially. Probably. But you don't need it to get started and even see if you like doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like, do you really want to go back to school for something that you haven't actually done yet? So I always tell people to take those baby steps because they're not getting that message elsewhere. And then they're just either paralyzed or they're procrastinating, or yeah, they're just they're putting off something that they think, "Well, someday I'm going to do this, or someday I'm going to be ready." And it's like, well, you may be ready right now, why don't you just try these few different things?
2: Sure. No, that's fantastic the way that you put that framework around it. When, when you talk about three must-have skills you need to be a successful mindset coach, can you elaborate on those? So I always
1: say, you live it, you teach it, you live it, you know it, and you, and, sorry, you live it, you teach it, and you sell it. So for us in our certification, one of the things that is really important, and I'm sure you've seen this with your colleagues, and maybe even in yourself, I mean, you're so dedicated to your challenges and your fitness. But like, for me, I notice when I'm not like really living it. And by living it, I mean, like practicing what we preach, like actually doing the work to keep yourself mentally sharp to have the self-awareness of what's going on in your own brain to shift your own thoughts like that takes very consistent work that is not a one and done thing and so for me i think living it is such an important part because i can't tell you how many coaches they probably come to you too and are like my athletes need this and it's like well yeah your athletes need but like are you a human because if you're a human you need this stuff too And when you do it yourself, it becomes way easier to deliver it. It's so much more authentic. You're going to learn it on a deeper level that helps you make tweaks and just little changes that make your ability to teach it stronger. And you also have more confidence because you're like, I don't need anybody else to believe in this stuff. I know it works. So if an athlete's rolling their eyes, it's cool. They can roll their eyes. I know this stuff works because I'm living it on a day-to-day basis. So I think living it is really, really important. Being able to teach it is just another level and it's a different skill set, right? Like being able to actually sit down and teach it in a process, in a you know, can Michael Jordan teach you how to make game-winning shots? I don't know. Maybe, but may also maybe not. <laughs> you know, like you have to be able to learn how to teach it. And, you know, even little things like having worksheets and diagrams and processes that people can can um, follow just takes that teaching to another level. And then for selling, I think there's a lot of people listening. that are probably like, well, I don't want to sell it. And to me, selling it is whether you are charging for it or not, selling it is actually really important because what we're really talking about is buy-in. Regardless of whether you have practice clients and you're not charging, whether you're doing it with your athletes of your existing team. You, they are giving you their time and their attention. They need to be sold. And I think that that's really, really important, but that is also a separate skill set. Being able to get people on board with the thing that you think that they need is a skill set in and of itself. So those are the three things that we really focus on in the certification. And like you talked about, we talk about in how to become a mental performance coach, which is our, um, our ebook, our guide for anybody that's interested in being one.
2: Fantastic guide.
1: Oh thanks. Yeah, we just yeah. released that a couple months ago. It's been really great. I think what I really did was I just took all the questions and all the things people are like basically always like it seems like the biggest barriers people experience between wanting to be a mindset coach and actually doing it. I put it all in one ebook. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. uh, the part that I liked and it gets with the selling piece is and and my I'm teeing you up well, right? Like
1: Yes, these are yeah, like these okay. are like layups. This is great.
2: <laughs> no, it's good. Well, I mean, I want to promote your mind, you know, your mindset coach academy certification. Because I come across a lot that you can call yourself anything you want, you know, but are you like, my problem is, is because it's still so esoteric out there, like you need somebody to I think guide you through the process in terms of keeping it simple. And like you said, having the parameters about that, Mm -hmm. one of the things that you put in that ebook is the selling piece, right? And you have the prices. Now, the part that I like is you have like five different examples of coaches in terms of. How they do their pricing, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. I mean, it's fantastic because it's a comparison in terms of, oh, okay, well, three months, mm-hmm. six months, and yeah, you know, whatever the package is gonna be. Yeah. Um, in terms of selling and pricing, mm-hmm. um, I found that through trial and error, because going through grad school. It was the same exact thing. And I, it still gets perpetuated here. And it it just, it draws my ire so much, Lindsay. Tell me. <laughs> it was, well, you don't charge until like you're at a certain point and you have a degree and you're able to hang the shingle or whatever, then you can go charge. Well, the problem with that is simple, right? You've never charged before. So now the same questions coming back, which brings back all the, um, you know the self-doubt in terms of, okay well now i can charge when i was like no from the very beginning i think you should charge and whether or not you subscribe to it or not i, I want to kind of move past it in terms of like how do you guide people through the price objections um that they have like for themselves hey i'm not good enough i can't charge that but i think what happens is, is we don't charge anything and we start getting the wrong clients and we're just giving mm. it away because oh. I believe when people pay, they pay attention. Mm-hmm. You know, they provide a value to it, right? We're not selling just a junker like you're selling a Lexus. Like, if, then not everybody's going to be able to buy it. Mm-hmm. But when they buy that, there's more appreciation to it. And I know I'm all over. I'm going to kind of concise it again. How do you guide people through that, um, you know, those price objections that they have, their their head trash that they have when it comes to charging? This is a great question.
1: And I will tell you that head trash is really the place that we have to look to to solve this problem, right? Because whatever you, we have so many trainings on this in our certification and in our mastermind because it's something that comes up a lot. Here's what I think. I think in the beginning, if you are starting any kind of business, it is great to get experience. It's great. And, and, And even as you build your business, it is also great to build a business that you can afford to do pro bono or sliding scale or scholarships or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. What I believe when it comes to pricing is as you alluded to, this is our mental game because when we get to the place where we look, it doesn't matter what your degree is. It doesn't matter what your training is. It doesn't matter. Um, your background and experience nothing matters except for results.
0: Right. And We're so yep.
1: Yep. And so the way that we get results is we get really good at delivering results. We also get the right people that are ready to get results. And so those things are really related to our own mindset. So in the beginning a lot of our clients they're doing practicum through the certification. So they are working often for free um to get that practice that's great but what i see is a lot of people then not doing the mental work to get to that next level of charging and they're not believing you kind of have to work on the belief first to get the results and then you get the results and it's like this this cycle right you're getting results you're getting people that are excited Then they're telling their friends but you have to get into that. You kind of have to push yourself into that cycle of really believing what you do. Like if you're not getting results, you're never going to charge the amount and it's always going to be hard and you're not going to gain confidence. So like, that is always the truth. We're not talking about charging for things that don't have value. Right. (laughs) Um, But really it is the mental junk because once you, I mean, we take people through a cognitive behavioral um, method of like, once you believe that what you have doesn't have value, all of your 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 um, you know emotions and feel, feelings and thoughts and actions, they all line up to match up with what you believe. And so really, like you said, clearing out that mental junk. We do an exercise actually in our mastermind where we write down all of our fears and doubts about what we're selling. And then I do this exercise where I actually say it back to the customer. For example, like if I'm trying to sell you on mental training and one of my beliefs is I'm not quite ready, um, or you don't, or another belief would be like, um, I don't think there's enough people in the world that actually want mindset training. So I could be selling and be like, okay, Dr. Rob, I'd love to work with you, but, um, not quite sure I'm ready. And like a lot of people don't want to pay for this, but you know, if you want to, we could work together. And so I give them this like long drawn out paragraph of how insecure that comes across. And like, imagine if like a doctor that was about to do surgery said that to you, or, Even your roofing company said that to you. Like nobody wants to work with somebody whose doubts are like vomiting all over them. And even if it's not that obvious, how we say things really does matter. And so like a little tonal shift here, a little pause here, a little just lack of confidence in what we do and the value of what we offer really comes through. Like it does. And people won't tell you that because they're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to say, well, I didn't work with you because I'm not sure you have enough confidence. <laughs> They're just going to say no. So it's really important to clean up those thoughts. And that's part of what getting trained really helps with. But it's not the only thing. The only th- the other thing is getting out there and actually getting results.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I appreciate you laying that out. We always get back to the belief piece, 100%. Mm-hmm. You talk about then on uh, one of the three must have skills, so living it. You you shared a fantastic blog post. I thought it was the best one you've ever written oh, in terms amazing. of what you do when you are in pain. Yes. You uh, are an entrepreneur, your business owner and your mother, four. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about like what how you had to. Like, life doesn't get easier. It gets way harder, mm-hmm. right? We just have the skills that hopefully yep. we've learned and now we're applying. What is it? What are some of those things that you do, though, when you get in pain to help you navigate life?
1: So um, a lot of that that most recent blog article was about calming my nervous system. So I think, you know, the fight or flight response, as you know, and probably a lot of your your listeners know, is like such a crucial response. And it's great for competition, too. So like when we're working with athletes, like for us to understand this on a deep level is really crucial. And so a lot of us get really good at turning on the sympathetic nerve system and not so good at turning off, you know, turning it down with the parasympathetic nerve system. And so a lot of our um our stress, our chronic stress just comes from not letting that stress out of our bodies. And from a um a performance standpoint, it's the same thing, right? It's like being able to ramp up and get yourself at that right level. I mean, you work with a lot of golfers that they can't get too hyped up, right? I mean, and that's true for most sports, right? And so being able to have that sort of awareness and the tools, and the tools are not magic, right? Like just because I work out and take a cold shower and like meditate doesn't mean that everything is solved in my life, right? But having these levers to pull, and again, a lot of that comes from self-awareness of like, and that's true for like what works for me, you know, like for me, and I think for you too, like exercise has always been one of those things. but there's other things too, and you can tweak things. And, um, you know, just having that awareness of like, again, where are you right now from a stress standpoint or an emotional pain standpoint or whatever your thing is in your life, where do you want to be and how can we work to get there? And I think that's like the the daily, weekly, monthly practice of all this is like, we don't ever arrive. <laughs> this is just practicing what we preach getting it wrong, coming back to it, growing, trying some other things. And, um, that's the, that's the, that's the coach student dance Mm -hmm. we're always in.
2: Yeah. In order to be a cool, calm and collected CEO, like you've mentioned, like share with us then what's, what's your strategy for your relationship with time?
0: Mm.
1: So much of it is. Recognizing how powerful the mind we, we talked about this when you were on my podcast, how powerful the mindset, how I think about time. So in other words, I think one of the, well, this is your book, I can't wait to be patient, but the idea of like time isn't happening to me. I am we call it the CEO versus the frantic employee. So if I'm the CEO, I am in control of my time. I am planning my time. I am prioritizing what I do with my time or I'm the frantic employee that's like on their heels and like blaming everybody else. Like, you know, like for example, before I got on here, my daughter got a bloody nose and like that didn't happen to me. And I have to like build that in with four kids, right? Like that's me not. And so like it happened. She's okay. I got to go on this. I built in some time, like it's fine. But if I'm not able to take the time to plan and prioritize my time and just the mindset of I'm in control, like one of the most powerful thoughts, we do this a lot in our certification is like the ability to shift our story about anything often comes down to thinking one single thought. So one of the thoughts that I use and a lot of my students use is I have just enough time to do the things that are important to me. Like taking that thought into your day has a ripple effect to basically your entire day instead of what most people do is like, I have too much to do, right? And that is like such a passive place to be because once you believe that, you're going to be running around the entire day doing probably a lot of stuff that you don't actually need to do because you want to be right. I have, I have too much to do. I don't actually want to have space in my life because I'm telling myself that I have too much to do. And because mm. our brain wants to be right, it finds ways to support that versus, I have just enough time to do the things that are important to me. A lot goes into that thought. I have to decide what's important to me, <laughs> right? I have to sit down and decide what's important to me. And and then, it. but it's also coming from a place of strength, confidence, control, planning. And so I see a lot with my students when they're in that frantic mindset they're not taking control of that first thought of the day almost or that first thought of when they're starting something and a lot mm-hmm. of that we do with some morning routines that we teach having to do with times time and and um you know making our task lists and getting our thoughts really clean for the day which is a, probably a whole nother podcast but that shift of shifting our thoughts makes a huge difference
2: mm. I might be borrowing that one there, coach, just enough time. Yeah. Boy, that's, yeah, that's powerful.
1: Yeah. It really shifts things for me Mm -hmm. because, you know, with four kids and like, you know, school hasn't even started yet. And then we got soccer practice like every night of the week. And like, I start thinking about, and then you start spiraling, right? And then you start like solving for problems that don't exist or inventing new problems. And then your brain was like looking for chaos, That's what I find when I think I don't have enough time. I start looking for ways that I'm right. You know, it's like, and then then also we have to get groceries and also this has to happen. And it's like, well, do we have something in the freezer? Like probably. And so like, could this actually be simpler? Like kind of what you talked about in the beginning, like how do we make things simple? And often that is we look, we find what we're looking for. So if we're looking for chaos and don't get me wrong, it's not like things are like hunky-dory over here all the time. There are moments of absolute chaos But if we can shift our thoughts to not look for it and therefore create it, things get simpler.
2: Uh, absolutely love it. I love it. With, so strict mom question, parent question. Mm -hmm. So as a mom, as a parent, do you think, and again, do you think we're past the point of just saying, I love watching you play? Is there, because I mean, I like it. But I'm always about like, yeah, I mean, I just think there's, hey, there's some, there's, there's some better things I think you can add to that. What do you do then as a parent, whether it's a good performance or a bad performance? Because we always debrief the same way, regardless of how they do, right? Because we're not going to be dictated on the performance, on the outcome. But Mm -hmm. what do you, what do you do then as a mom?
1: Well, we're, we're, I'm just starting this journey, okay? So my oldest is eight. So she just last year was like, soccer became more of like a, they kind of knew that they won or lost, you know, that kind of thing. Like yeah. before that, it was just like kids running around. Right. So we just started this and I am by no means an expert because, you know, as it is applying the stuff to your own life and your own kids is, is kind of different. But what I am trying right now is I, I ask her, I talk about two things in the car before every game and every practice. And I talk about the same two things after. And it's this, did you have fun? And did you play as hard as possible? And also helping her understand what playing hard really is, that's open. But I also am all about the like, trying to instill in her the pride in herself. So that's kind of where those are coming from because of course she's of the age where she's looking over to see my reaction. And I've had friends that are like, just tell them to have fun. Like, it's all about fun. And I'm like, yeah, but also, especially as a mom of girls, I'm like, if she's not learning to run somebody over on the soccer field, like we're not doing it right. I'm sorry. Like that, maybe that's just like the, the professional athlete in me, but like That is a part of sports. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of sports. It's like, yeah, sure, help them up, be a great sport. But like, you're not learning to push yourself as hard as you can. Like, what are we doing? We can have fun playing dolls. So that's sort of just me, (laughs) like maybe already like the soccer mom. But for me, and that's kind of just what we talk about in our family is like, it is all about having fun. But how fun is it to like, go and like, get the damn ball? you know? And so trying to teach her that, but also always going back to that. So a good example is last year, she had like a game where she scored two goals and she like ran to me on the side and like hugged me. I'm like, my first thing was like, how, how did that feel? Did you play so hard? Did you have, was that so fun? Because as we know, sometimes the goals are going to happen and many, many oftentimes they're not. And so trying to get her to just keep coming back to that for herself, that feels right to me as a parent, yep. um, you know, time will tell, but that's kind of what I'm focused on because right. I really want her to get that sense of like, whether we win or lose, we are going hard. We are playing hard. We are going to get the ball with everything that we have. And yes, we, maybe we fall down, mm-hmm. but we're going to get back up.
2: So go, go get the damn ball.
1: That's what, I mean, I can't, That's <laughs> I know, just I, I, I can't help it. Like, I but I'm also I'm trying not to be the like, if you didn't get the ball, like, that's okay, too. But like, really helping her, uh, like, learn that self awareness of like, do you feel what it feels like to actually go as hard as you can? And soccer is kind of interesting that right? Like, there's a 5050 ball. And oftentimes, it really is going to be the person that just like, really wants it. And I want her to understand that that is like a really good thing. Oh yeah And sort of get that inner self-awareness of like that's the goal that's yeah. the goal it's not necessarily even to get the ball it's to be the one that's like right you know
2: so I, I tell i tell mine sometimes i said and, and it depends on the athletes too right in the sport but i said man great defenders never ask was that my ball yeah was that was that my man like great yeah. defenders never ask that stuff yeah. you know they just go and they get it and that's yeah,
1: exactly that hesitation piece yeah. that like Especially, I think, in girls in sports, it's like, well, is it my teammates' ball? Is it? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, go hard, ask questions later.
2: Yeah. Want to listen to your favorite music but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to kukoradio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Playing nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. So, what, one more, one more question: What questions should I be asking that I haven't asked? Asking me? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, um, I'm trying to think of what question. I mean, I think probably what a lot of your listeners are wondering that I see a lot is. Is, you know, something around the lines of like, is there room for me in mindset coaching? Can you make a career out of this? Is it already saturated? You know, I think there's a lot of those fears coming up. And look, you and I have been in this field for a while. I mean, even five years ago, like we were still explaining what this is. I mean, sometimes even now, but so it's like, I think there's a lot of when you're in this field and you're seeing a lot and you're following a lot of people that are doing this, you start worrying that there's too many people doing it um, or that people won't pay for mindset coaching or mental performance coaching. I would think that a lot of your listeners, if they're interested in being a mindset coach, have that thought.
2: love it, man. Is that the mic drop moment?
1: I don't know. I would just say that I think people like whatever you think is true, right? Like if you think mm -hmm. that people won't pay for this, then you'll find the people that won't pay for this. And I also think that like, you know, I I think that what I do is really great. I think I'm really good at it, but I would probably say the same for you. I know that, but like, there is room for so many more people with their unique story and their unique sport, and they will be able to deliver the message to the right person far better than I ever can. And I see that with my students, you know, we have people coming in that are taking it to the military and equestrian worlds and, you know, some other little niche for injured athletes or whatever their thing is, or even, you know, bigger sports, soccer goalies or basketball, but they have a unique story or not even a unique story, just their story. And I would just say that like for the right person, there is the right mindset and mental performance coach. And that person doesn't have to be you or me. Uh, And I think that's like really, really important. Like whatever brought someone to becoming a mental coach is like their thing that makes them so unique and the world needs that. And there's some people that can only hear their message and what they need to learn from that person.
2: That's the mic drop moment there, coach. (laughs) That's what it was. That's what I was waiting for. There we go. I love it. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much. The the links are going to be on there and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing your insight. And uh, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Rob. I'm so blessed to know you and thank you for having me on the podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at DrRobBell.com or follow him on Twitter at DrRobBell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.